How can we as moms and moms-to-be who are more overwhelmed and worried than ever about our kids find natural, safe, effective, and real-life ways to nurture and cultivate amazing human beings? That is the question, and here are the answers. This is the Parent Coffee Talk, and I'm Dr. Roseanne. I'm Dr. Cleopatra. Let's get started. Dr. Rose, so good to be here with you today. How's it going? So awesome to be with you, my friend. And, you know, so grateful that we already have the Parent Coffee Talk set up and we have this great plat for us to, you know, kind of share our mission of love. And you're so right. Like anybody who knows us knows we're like super loving people. And that's what kind of made us sort of sisters in life and a lot of other reasons too. But (laughs) it's part of it. One of the things that anybody knows Cleopatra, she's like nothing but squishy love. And you too. And you too. And at the same time, we are both like so about making a difference in the world. No nonsense. Let's figure out how to progress as individuals in our mission and as a society. And that's why we are having this special episode today we want to talk about something really important in light of everything that's coming to the surface today and our this week and in the last couple of weeks. And I just want to note first and foremost that the things that our world is paying attention to in the past week and the past couple of weeks and even in the past couple of months, these things are not new. They are not things that are just happening now. They are things that happen every single day in the United States of America, where we live in a lot of countries, they are things that have been happening in this country for hundreds of years already. But it is a time in our country's history when it is coming to the surface and more people are talking and trying to figure out how they can be part of the solution, how we got here in the first place that in 2020, these issues are still an issue. They're still a problem. And how can we get past this moment in time and progress as a society and as a human race? So we are here to talk about current events, but we want to acknowledge the long history of these events and that today is the moment that we can make a change that is enduring. And that's what we want to talk about. One of the the ways that we can always start in solving the challenges that we face as a society and as a human race is to look at ourselves and look at within our own families. A lot of parenting, as all of us know, who already are parents and those of us who are primestering and getting ready for, for motherhood and parenthood, One of the primary ways of parenting is first to start and look within ourselves, parenting from the inside out, where in ourselves, where in our lives can we be better? And when it comes to race relations, every single one of us could be better. And let me tell you why. As a scientist, I know this research very, very well. I specialize in fertility and pregnancy and what we call at the Fertility and Pregnancy Institute the mommy life cycle or the parenting life cycle. And one of my specialties is understanding how aspects of our identity, including our race and ethnicity and other aspects, our gender, our, our sexual orientation, so many other things shape 
our reproductive health outcomes, our fertility, our pregnancy, our birth outcomes, and also the transmission of health across generations through epigenetic processes and how the external environment shapes the expression of our genes. And so this is not a topic that's new to me. It's part of my lifelong mission. And what I can tell you for sure is that every single one of us has prejudices, even when we are the most open, loving people in the world. That includes me. That includes Dr. Roseanne. That includes anybody who can see us or hear our voices right now. And the reason why I can say that with so much certainty is because we know from neuroscience and other social and behavioral sciences that the brain is prejudice. The human brain is prejudice. We evolved to very quickly take in information and make decisions about the world around us. And we use something called schema. There are mental shortcuts that help us to process information very quickly. One of the schema that every human being is prone to using and to falling back on is to feeling more hesitant around, less trusting of dissimilar others. And when I say dissimilar others, I mean people who are of a different ethnic, racial, national, cultural, social backgrounds than we are. And we evolve this way because our brain and our bodies are always going to first and foremost, keep us safe. And one of the ways that they keep us safe is to say, there's somebody who looks different from you, who is different from you. And this may pose a risk. It may signal that there's a chance of war. It may signal that there's a chance of exposure to foreign pathogens, different diseases than you are equipped to deal with at this moment in time. Because when we lived in the time of our caveman and woman ancestors, we lived farther apart. If you did encounter dissimilar others, usually it came with a higher risk of these things. We live in a very different world today, but our brain still operates in the same way. So when I say that, when it comes to parenting and parenting being an inside out job and most of society's challenges being a signal to us to start with ourselves and our families first and prejudice being a perfect example of one of those things. And I said, every single one of us can do better. And that's why, because we are all, using the same schema to operate in this world. And that one of our schema represents implicit bias toward other people and dissimilar others. So let's talk about how to overcome with that, with that foundation in mind. And Dr. Rowe, I know I've been introing for a long time here. Oh no, I can listen to you all day. I mean, I, how important is what you're saying? Like in schema might be a new word for people. It's our framework, right? It's our yes. brain has to have an organizational system. Yes. Otherwise it's overloaded. And so yes. it helps us out in so many things. But in, in the same breath, we so much of ability to influence that, right? Because you and I are all about what you can do, right? So exactly. The info. We're also super level research nerds, Dr. Yes. So yes. Exactly. So we, we're we're talking about a lot of different, you know, Cleopatra did a beautiful in-depth study for Aetna Insurance. Uh, and some insurance. And some insurance. Sorry. And no, perfect. It was about, you know, how um and there's there's so much research, good and bad, yes. as Dr. Cleopatra likes to say, about bias yes. and racism, right? And so what we're talking about 
is, you know, we know people, we know about people who are outwardly prejudiced. We're not saying the people that are showing up here today want to be better and want to be the change. And that's awesome. So all of what is happening is we're just in this time of like, I'm getting goosebumps. We're in this time of incredible growth. And so out of hard things, amazing things can happen. Yes. And it is so weird that we're talking about this when we think we've moved beyond it. Clearly we haven't. And, you know, what the research says is there is prejudice and then there are these more subtle ways that bias, prejudice, Mm -hmm. inequality, racism built, right? Mm -hmm. So as parents, we already know we're kids' teachers and there's so many things that we can do that are awesome. But one of the biggest things that research has found is that, you know, bias and racism starts really young. As young exactly. as two and three years old. Exactly. And people are like, what? I never say anything, right? Yes. But one of the biggest sources is actually lack of exposure to the range of colors, right? Yes. And you talk about the primitive reflex. If children don't know, they're going to say, this is, this is not, I don't know this. There might be a discrimination. So one of the first things people can do is expose your child to a variety of cultures, um, hopefully through wonderful relationships. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. your wonderful relationship. Hopefully, wait, you can, you you know, you now they have um, crayon sets with a whole range of color. It's not just black and white. There's a lot of range of colors in between and kids need to be exposed to that. So there's great books. You know, I have a blog that has some resources for books. And there's just a lot going on right now that's opening people's eyes. And that's one simple thing that can start to make change, right? Right, Dr. Cleopatra? Yes, yes, absolutely. And as Dr. Rowe was just saying, that's what we really want to focus on here today. So if you're watching this live and you have questions, I want you to know that you are safe here to ask any question. There's no question that's off limits. When we get, we become so polite that we're afraid to speak up, we can't progress as a society. Obviously, We want to have a basic amount of regard for human dignity. We want to communicate in a way that's aligned with that that human dignity. But beyond that, we are all going to do it imperfectly. We are all going to make mistakes, but we've got to talk. We have to talk to ourselves. We have to talk to our children. We've got to talk to each other. We've got to talk to dissimilar others. And it's only when we're able to do that and able to stand up and speak up unafraid that we are going to make the most progress. If we tiptoe around these conversations, our progress will reflect it. It will be stunted. And I do not want that. I can put my personal offenses, my personal self-importance aside to make sure that we have the difficult conversations in order to propel our society and our human race forward. I want that for myself. I want that for my children. I want that for your children. So here we are today, open to having whatever conversation needs to be had so that we can understand our brain works in a certain way, but we have our consciousness and our free will, and we can intercept those primitive reactions and responses and do better and teach our children to do better first and foremost through our own example and what we model for them. So 
if you're here watching or even if you see this after you're seeing the replay, I want you to feel free to ask questions no matter how embarrassing those questions are to you or how basic they feel to you. We want to have the conversation that will serve our society in the best way possible. So let's focus on, we already know our human shortcomings, the shortcomings of our beautiful human brain, which they are shortcomings, but it is here to keep us safe and alive and it's doing that for us. So for that, we are thankful. Now, how do we overcome these instincts? We start with ourselves and we start with what we can get real about in ourselves, what we can expose ourselves to, how we can be committed to being uncomfortable for the sake of growth and how we can model that for our children and teach them to do the same. And Dr. Roseanne is right that the scientific literature shows that we already have an understanding of race and racial preference by the time we're two years old. And that seems outrageous. It's unbelievable, but that's how the world works, but it's true. And even when... And even in well-meaning, lovely homes, the people who don't consider themselves to be biased in any way, when we open it, you know, I always feel like we go to the brain and we understand the neuroscience. Thank you, Dr. Cleopatra, for bringing that in. Then we can move forward. Say, okay, my brain has this bias. I do to intercede. And yes. what this whole conversation is about. And I think the dialogue is so important, but listening is important. I think one of the things that I've learned, you know, throughout my whole life of having, you know, different relationships, different genders of people of different colors and races is to listen. Their experiences are their experiences. They are not mine. And we have to always hold that in regard and honor their experiences mm-hmm. and learn. We all have unique experiences, but what you say in another part was in looking at the literature, you're absolutely right. For your moms and your trimester, even experiencing racism while you're pregnant has been clinically shown to impact the health of a child. 100%. And not just while you're pregnant, but even while you're trimestering, which is why we always talk about our aspects of our identity. That's why social and cultural are at the top of the fertility triangle because they are relevant to our epigenetic expression. And so and I'm sure that's surprising for some people. Yes. Like you think, what, what do you mean? You know, our children, right, are canaries in the coal mine and they represent everything that's going on in our ecosystem. Why our children's mental health is a shitstorm. Why we're doing what we do all the time because we yeah. don't want to impact family health. Absolutely. Let's dive into how kids learn races, what parents can do, even when, you know, you're trying your best, like, like Cleopatra said, I'm a white woman married to a white husband with white kids. We don't have any, any biases, but we definitely do. We we do. Absolutely. You know, even gender, like if some guy shows up at my door, am I going to be more cautious? Of course. You know, right. Like, is that a good instinct? Maybe. You know what I mean? So, but we, so those are the kind of questions we need to ask ourselves. Like, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And how can we be better? And, and ultimately what I say all the time, it's always about, you just operate from respect and love. You could never go wrong. I think this is actually, I want to emphasize this because this might sound all flowery and hippie or whatever. Let me emphasize why what Dr. Rose said is just said is so important because the things that have happened 
that sparked the protests that we're now seeing throughout the United States and throughout the world, because the world is standing up with us, which is so beautiful to see, are only possible if we perceive people who are different from us as less human than we are. If we see someone as human, just like us, then what happened to Mr. Floyd, what happened to Ms. Taylor, what has happened to people over and over again in our society could not possibly happen. Let me give you a historical example that can make this more concrete for you. In American society, this is going to sound so barbaric, but it's true. We thought of children as being less human than adults. And children were abused and harmed. And we had to have people who stood up for the rights of children. And we put laws into place, child labor laws and other things to help protect this vulnerable population in our society. Now, people of color are not children and they should not be treated like children, but it is a similar example in the sense that we people used to look, it's it's mind boggling to us today. Our children are the most important thing in the world to us. It is unfathomable that people used to treat children as if they were less human than, than adults. Well, guess what? People treat people of color as though they are less human. And the minute that that is erased, these kinds of things to this degree, there will still be implicit bias, but this ex- these explicit forms of bias, this brutality, this could not happen if we saw somebody who's dissimilar to us as being equally human as we are. So that is a really good starting place. That's a really so good thing to internalize. Yeah. So important. And, you know, um, one of the best things as a mental health provider that I have seen in the last 10 years that has been absolutely unbelievable of the transformation, the revolution that accepted mm-hmm. is our community for, you know, kids with, you know, sexual identity. And, you know, yes. it has literally been normalized. Like, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm this, I'm that. And, and the level of right. acceptance, at least on our on our coast, our east and west coast, and I think there's some level of growth that needs to happen. Yes. It's truly amazing. Like In our in our lifetime, agreed. agreed. I mean, in our lifetime, I would have never thought we moved as far in tolerance and acceptance of sexuality. And there's a lesson to be learned from that. And, mm-hmm. and it all starts from the love. Like the teens today, they're just like, ah, who cares about who you love? I love you. You and and they and it's true. It, it can be perceived as corny, but when we really just love other people, a lot of things can happen, right? Can and be resolved. Everybody mm-hmm. as a human and mm-hmm. not less than. So that is a really critical place to start. The other thing is, let's all agree that we are all prejudiced, that we all have biases, even when we mean so well. So let's get that part of the conversation out of the way yeah. with that basic understanding. Let's yeah. talk about where we, how we overcome them and how we do better and teach our children to do better so that they grow into adults who do better. So the first thing is we see everyone as equally human. The second thing is 
We admit, acknowledge, face our own prejudices as human beings and go and find out concretely for yourself. You can take a test online through Harvard University called the Implicit Attitudes Test. Go take that test. It will show you in a few minutes what your implicit biases are and how strong they are. It's uncomfortable, but go and learn for yourself and acknowledge it. And it's not about what you say you believe. It's not about your explicit attitudes. You can believe in equality and go and take this test, which is assessing your information, processing your schema and It will show you the truth of your implicit biases. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Go get a handle on that. They have something similar for children as young as preschool age. The PRAM 2, it's how we assess that that racist attitudes and racism already exist in preschool age children by pairing pieces of information and making associations. It's the way the brain works again. So learn about your own implicit biases and then start to work to actively overcome them. And education, education is always the way. Start by educating yourself. Right. And that's so critical. Like, so we say we, we always, treat believe that all humans are as equally important important but it's belief and then action the same thing with identifying your biases right and and you know as we move through generations your parents have certain like very outward biases about every possible combination of things right religion gender everything right and you we're educated people and we think we overcome those biases, but they linger in implicit ways that we may not realize that we act a certain way, particularly in front of our children. And that we have to actively work to overcome. And here's why it's really important to do this now and not later. And to not think that our children are too young to be aware of what's happening. So we have time to work on this in ourselves Childhood and especially early childhood, just like the in utero period and the primester, the time leading up to pregnancy, these are what we call in science critical developmental periods. What it means is that what happens during those periods, what we're exposed to is so much more influential and it's harder to unlearn later. So what we have seen in the science is that our attitudes about different races are formed very early in life. And because they are formed very early in life, just like all of the other beliefs and especially limiting beliefs that we absorb from our parents without even realizing it and the world around us without even realizing it, they are resistant to change. They are resistant to disconfirming evidence, meaning You could, for example, have the belief that people of color are not as likely to be intellectually gifted as white people, which is a very common stereotype, whether we acknowledge it or not. We know it from the scientific literature. The stereotype is that the darker you are, the less smart you are. You could have absorbed that belief somewhere from something you heard in passing from cues in the environment you get that are very subtle. And you could then 
be put into a school where it's all people of color and they're all gifted people of color and be confronted every single day with evidence that disconfirms that stereotype or refutes that stereotype. And still, it would be hard for you to change that belief and let go of it. And so this is why this can't wait. This work cannot wait. It cannot. And what we know from the research is that when you teach even no matter what age the kid is in their, you know, you're an adult, when you teach about bias, it actually reduces bias and prejudice. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so if your your kid's 15, you know, and not two or one, don't worry. You, you still can. So yes. Talk about it and bring it up and educate and it reduces it. Sort of like you have a bad habit, like we all do. And then also the light bulb goes off and you make a connection the same thing about you know inadvertent non-direct forms of bias and prejudice so there's Mm -hmm. so much that can we do that we can do as human beings and as parents for our kids and for ourselves dr Rowe, thank you so much for saying that and i just want to underscore it so what dr Rowe was just saying is that it's never too late to educate ourselves and our children to help to combat the existence of bias. And at the same time, it's never too early to start doing that work in ourselves and in our children, even when we're like, oh, but my child is just a toddler. Because the earlier we address it, the more likely it is that we raise children who really do believe in the shared humanity and of all people and have not internalized these subtle cues from our own behavior and from the external environment. And our biases in our world are a lot like, like what water is to a fish. It just is. We, you, a, a fish cannot label water. It is just what they experience. It's like air to us. It just is. It's so obvious. It's so present that we don't even think about it. And the same thing is true with these biases. So the earlier we start to talk about it and say, this is there, it's easy to miss that it's even there, but it is there. And I want you to know it's there. And I want you to know it's not the truth here's what the truth really is, that we are all human, that we are all individuals, that none of us is a representative of a group of people. And we should all be, get to know each person and judged on the basis of who we are as an individual, not on the basis of characteristics that you see from the surface. And so I think that it's really important to understand it's never too late to start having these conversations, but it's never too early to start doing this work and having these conversations either. And for those of us who are people of color, we actually don't have a choice about having these conversations because we're confronted with these situations and our children are And we don't want our children to be blindsided. We want to help them to be prepared because we know from the scientific literature that understanding that you're considered inferior on the basis of your skin color or your race or some other aspect of your identity is directly related to your self-esteem. It's hard to feel good about yourself when a fundamental aspect of the self is devalued in the larger society. And this is what Black people live every single day in American society and in a lot of places in the Western world. And so we actually don't have the choice 
but to have these conversations. Non-families of color can make the choice because they can avoid having the conversations because they don't encounter the situations. They have to choose to be uncomfortable, get uncomfortable, face their biases, talk to their children about things that make them uncomfortable and that they don't necessarily know the answers to and just say, I don't know the answer, but what I know is that this is not the answer. What we've been doing up until now is not the answer. I have brown children. My husband is every race and ethnicity. On my son's first day of kindergarten, somebody asked him why his is so dark. That is so hard when you have a, a beautiful, innocent, amazing child who could be seen for so many other things that he has like the world's record for muscles on a five-year-old, you know, that he's, <laughs> yeah, that he does, that he, that he's like the most amazing soccer player, that he's ridiculously smart and can do that he's gorgeous that he can do that like nobody's business that he's actually super sensitive and community oriented and family oriented all of these things you could see about him but instead what he was asked on his first day in kindergarten is why is your face so dark this is what i mean by we don't have the choice but you don't have the choice and doesn't that go back to Mm -hmm. shows us that like one of the first things is lack of exposure that is an actionable thing that people can do whether exactly. like you said like you know have friendships with people of diversity even if you live in a place where there isn't a lot of diversity which in most places now there 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 is diversity. i live in a place where there's not a lot of diversity and i have lots of friends but I, you have to actively seek it out and create well, you know listen you know me i make friends wherever i go so you if you're a respectful awesome person you probably did to the hodge house Exactly. It's so, it's so, so true. It's so, so true. You know, that's just, I love people. And and really that's the basis. I know you do too. We talk, we go out, we make friends wherever we go. We make friends everywhere. And that's why I, people always ask me how I speak so many different languages. I'm like, I have zero clue. I just know that I'm so motivated to connect and communicate with people that somehow I figure out how to understand at least some words in their language, right? And I've transmitted that to my children. And that is such a, a great example of the of the kind of things you can do. You don't have to be great at languages. You don't have to live in a diverse community. So one of the things that I always do is when my kids go to a new class, I offer to bring books to fill their library. And I bring books about diversity, about Dia de los Muertos, about different colors of skin, about differences in, in the Great. enabled body, all yeah. of these things. I offer, I don't wait for somebody to ask me. I don't wait for somebody to invite me. I say, hey, I'd love to help fill up these bookshelves. Can I bring some carefully vetted books? And that's what I do every single year for my children's schools. When I have the option of coming in to do a birthday book for my children, I always choose a book about diversity. I have to, but I also want to help to educate the other children. Anybody can do this. And as simple as those kind of things can open up conversations 
And also, it, it's just about exposure. That little boy, I can't imagine exactly. he was in Los Angeles that he didn't have exposure to diverse populations. It's shocking. Yeah, it shocking. is. Yeah, totally. But maybe, I don't know, or maybe he yeah. or she is living in a prejudiced home. I don't know because this is America and there are still people where there's active mm-hmm. prejudice. I mean, mm-hmm. there really are. I mean, you know, let's face it. That's, that's happened. Let's get uncomfortable. And I think that what you just said is so important. All ways in which we progress as individuals, we progress as families, and we progress as a society involve discomfort. Dr. Roseanne and I are highly motivated, highly ambitious. We are committed to our missions like nobody's business. We text at 4 a.m., 2 a.m., like, I mean, we we take good care of ourselves, but we are going for it every single day. And you know what? Every single day, we are each uncomfortable. We are pushing our comfort zone in every way. And that is why we progress. And so we all need to just stand up and get uncomfortable and be committed to being uncomfortable in this way. So it's natural for me to stand up as a woman of color and say, I'll bring, I'll bring books and show up with books about diversity, but it's perfectly okay. Even if it feels uncomfortable for you to stand up and say, I'll bring books and bring books about diversity too. And even if you don't know which books to bring, Look up. There are lots of lists online. There, you can look. I have them in my things. blog. Yes. And you just have to do is Google today, and and lots of good stuff is coming up, which is great. Yes. So, you know. Shout out to, I'm an, I'm an academic woman of color. There aren't a whole lot of us in the world who are, have PhDs are on our professors and we have a secret group and I asked for recommendations for books on diversity in the one of those secret groups. And man, did I get the most beautiful, rich list you have ever seen. Thank you to the binders. And so wherever you can ask, wherever you can look online, do that. There are so many great resources. And just step up and, and, and offer. That's such a small thing that you can do to help create exposure for yourself and for your children so that we create a new normal, that we create new subtle cues that are pro-human and pro-black and pro-brown, pro-female, pro-non-binary gender, everything that we want to because continue to advance. subtle things exactly. that children are absorbing. Exactly. So we, we right. always think of like big things in life, you know, not that the Hodges don't love Disney World, like, you know, the big trips to yeah. whatever, but it's the day to day. And that's where the learning comes out. Okay. So they're going to always remember that you went on the Star Wars tour, but what they're absorbing in their core that changes their behavior, all those subtle things, right? Like yes. all those acts of kindness. Like, you know, you said, you know, I know Luxor is a super kind person. Well, of course he is, because mom and dad are. I know, it's true. Like, loving yeah. things. One of the greatest determinations of success in life is empathy. So they're now saying, like, what's the core, one of the core characteristics of a big executive is empathy. Yes. <laughs> what are we not valuing in our culture? Empathy. Empathy. You know, we're so valuing academics. So when we really teach, model, and reinforce empathy, there's just so many beautiful things that blossom out of that. And those little acts of kindness and acceptance 
and showing and modeling quality is how kids absorb. Yes. And I just want to say there are lots of ways to create subtle cues that are pro-life. I'm not talking about abortion. I'm talking about pro-human beings. I'm not, that's a, that's an entirely different conversation. I realize as I use that term that that conjures up something different for people, meaning pro-human. And Dr. Rose correct that we, we often think it's these big racist acts that we have to work against. And most people would never engage in what just happened to Mr. Floyd. Every, almost everybody knows that that's considered wrong, right? It's the more subtle things where the gray area, where we have the most potential for impact. Of course, we need different policing regulations to eliminate the possibility that these primitive urges toward bias result in brutality and the kinds of things that we're protesting against right now. That's a conversation that is distinct from the one that we're having today, which is about how can we teach our children about being pro-human in the subtle ways that they're absorbing every single day. So having these symbolic representations of diversity and equity and inclusion and just that we are all equally human. So talking about books, having figures that are powerful, that that are heroic, that show different groups of people, not just stories of triumph and overcoming difficulty, which a lot of stories about diversity and equity and inclusion are, but also the people we look up to, the figures that we look up to, right? Um, President Obama, Mama, Oprah, our, our Shiro, my gosh. Dr. Cleopatra and I got to meet with meet her. So yes. for Shiro, we're like so yes. Anyway. Yeah, it's so true. Actually, I have this note that I, I wrote her and in this right in front of me in this note that and that Luxor drew her this picture. And then I wrote her a note on the other side. And on the note that I wrote her and what I told her when I met her was that as a little girl, I didn't get to watch your show because my dad didn't let us watch TV. But I just knew you were there and I knew that you were bringing hope to people and making a difference in the world. And because I saw what you looked like and what you were doing, I knew it was possible for me too. And in that way, you made all the difference in the world in my life, right? Those things do make all the difference in the world. So having the books, having those those beautiful, powerful symbols having toys and dolls, I insist that my children's toys are diverse, that if they, my sons can have babies and I want them to be babies of different colors, right? And you can do that too, even for white children, for Absolutely. example. They're, they're all making sure that you're celebrating different groups of people and their customs and learning about different groups of people and their customs and in an authentic way. These are just some very small, subtle things that we can do to help to normalize. And, and the research shows that when we talk about the customs, the history of struggles of certain ethnicities and communities, that it is very beneficial and it helps to reduce bias and build empathy. And we want a highly empathetic child, right? And, and you yeah. know what I mean is that you can put yourself in another person's shoes. That's so important. And we really are one of the greatest declines I've seen in children, as I said, is a lack of empathy. But really, it's to understand a different person's perspective and their 
they're so so stressed out that they're often egocentric. Um, Jess brought up something that was really important that I didn't want to neglect, and and it was something I had really thought about. So thanks for bringing it up, Jess Sherman. Is that Jess? Yeah. Is that one of the things that happen is when we other people, when we we start to view ourselves as classes and races and whatnot, that in the world of our history of genocides, that's how it starts. When we start to see that's exactly right, human. I think the Jewish culture has just did, done such an amazing job of insisting on preserving history and mm-hmm. letting people know what happened. It seems almost like a disbelief that that could happen. Those are that happened in modern times. You know, it's, like. It, it, is, it seems unfathomable. Right. It, but it, when you look back to how that happened, you can really trace exactly what happened and a group of people were viewed as less than. Being viewed as less human than yes. the other group of people. In social psychology, we call this an in-group and out-group distinction. It's basically us versus them. And that's how sports teams work, the psychology of sports teams. If you want to think of that as a very kind of small microcosm, benign example, racial and ethnic and national and religious and other groups of people being in group versus out group. It's the same, it's the same sort of dynamic or process. And the, the, the minute this justice is so important. And it's tied to what we were talking about earlier about making sure that we can see each other as equally human. And when we have that foundation, it's very difficult for things like this to happen because most human beings cannot look at another human being and do something so horrible to them. It's very important that we we understand that we, even if we are from different countries, if we are from different racial and ethnic groups, that we are all the in-group of, of our shared humanity, that, that we, are, we are all human beings. And so we share an in-group in that way. Again, it has to be those subtle cues that we cues are sending and, and to the environment. So, so important. And, you know, some of the other things that, you know, I was thinking about is that, you know, when we talk about subtle cues and even like as, as a white person who, who always speaks up anyway about everything, you're yeah. just, you know, you're going to hear about it with Dr. Rupp, that it's not good for you. Maybe real popular on the block. You know who you are. Anyway, yeah. 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 Cheerio. Agree. Um, except for my girlfriend, Tracy. Shout out to Tracy. But but I always make jokes. You know, one of the things is like, you know, often we think if negative things don't come out of our mouth, but come out of somebody else's mouth, that it's okay. Subtle things, but also a big thing is when you're hearing people make stupid comments about other people, say, hey, that makes me uncomfortable because that's not true. Or whatever it is you feel comfortable saying, but those become really important. It teaches your kids about humanity, about equality. It it's also so true. To stand up for themselves. When and they, to stand up for other people. And other yeah. people. I remember, you know, in high school, my sister's a very different version of me. She's very calm. And I won't go into the story, but these kids were horrifically bullying uh, her friend in high school. And this was the 80s. And so my sister beat her up. And my parents couldn't have been prouder. 
<laughs> That's so awesome. Because they were like, what? They were bullying this girl? I mean, it was it was a horrible, horrible bullying. And you know what? Those bullies stopped. Yeah. My, my parents were like, eh, Dace is such a great job. You know, they, they could have been prouder that she stood up for injustice. We can't do that a day today. I'm not encouraging anyone. We're not to telling you to, you know, teach your kids. To try to vocalize. To, vi- to fight physically, but to stand up. Yes. They went to the principal. They already had done all those things. It was a different time. Okay. So, but even somebody as my sister just is not that way. And she, you know, so, so, but today we have things in place in schools, you know, bullying and whatnot. I have, I have worked with many, many a child over these 30 years who have lived in primarily Caucasian communities who were kids of color who were bullied. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, hundred percent. And I've had more than one kid have a move or leave a school, like in modern freaking times. You know what I mean? And and what a parent say? Oh, well, you know that my kid didn't mean that, or that didn't come out of that mouth. Really, this is why this is such an important conversation because you know we really just have a lot more work to do. Well, let me ask a question because what I hear as I'm reflecting on our conversation, Dr. Roseanne is that all of the ways in which we can overcome these implicit biases and send different cues out into the world that our children absorb and other people's children absorb and even children of marginalized backgrounds absorb because guess what? These subtle cues become internalized as internalized racism because children of color understand that their groups are undervalued and they understand the subtle message that the majority group is is better. But all of the, the solutions that we're talking about here, whether it's letting someone know that you feel uncomfortable with jokes or remarks that they're making about other groups of people, offering to buy the books, bringing the books into your home, having the conversations with your toddlers and preschoolers and young children, making sure that toy choices are diverse, making sure that you're celebrating and learning about other people's histories and customs. All of these things are effortful and in many ways require a willingness to be uncomfortable that most people don't willingly put themselves in the position of having to do when otherwise they don't have to, right? Those of us who are families of color, we have no choice but to be uncomfortable in that way because it's not a matter of whether, it's a matter of when we and our children are going to face the scenario where it comes up. But for majority race or ethnicity families, that's not necessarily the case. So talk to us about how you make the decision willingly to get uncomfortable even when you don't have to. I think... Uh, right now is a period of awakening, right? Like out of the worst things, I think things can get better if you choose, right? Mm-hmm. And I think all parents want the absolute best for their kids. Yes. That's where you make that decision. You're making this decision for your kids, better human beings. Who doesn't want their kids to be loving and kind to everybody? Mm-hmm. We insist on manners. But manners are the things that you do in those little moments to be polite and whatnot. But really to be loving and kind is tolerant, accepting. I don't even like the word tolerant. But really accepting of others and understanding that 
your way is not the only way or the right way and that there are many ways to do things. And so I think that the motivation for your kids to be better human beings, right? Like I took from my, we learned parenting from our parents. Yeah. That's our primary way. I took what I loved from Tony and Philomena. Yeah. And I abandoned quite a few things from Tony yeah. and Philomena, yeah. right? Same. Same, same with Maga. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. we need to do the same in, the, uh, in all the other areas. So, you know, there's a natural pruning process, but, it, but all parents want the absolute best for their kids. And so, you know, here we are. Do we really need to say that your kids are more emotionally healthy and grounded? If they're loving and tolerant and fit of other people, they are, you know, they're just better yeah. human beings. And, and when you think about people you admire in your life, who do you admire? You admire people for different reasons, but, you know, I just always think like, you know, I mean, the people I admire in my life are like people like Cleopatra, like they're committed and people, but they're just so loving and honorable and accepting. I admire you for and the same reason. I, I, there's few other people in the world that I have a great, a great group of people in my life, but those are the people that I hold in the highest regard. And when we talk about, you know, Cleopatra and I hang out with some pretty powerful people, and they are pretty amazing human beings. Yes, it's right? true. They are. It's really and true. They're go givers. I love you award in our group. This you won the Go Giver Award, by the way. But we are in a group of incredible go givers, and for you to be a go giver among go givers is a big deal. It's true. Yeah. So you know, we we think of these wonderful human beings, like you know, people think of like Oprah, Barack Obama, Mother Teresa, people that you think, oh, you know, you get that question, who would you want to have dinner with? A lot, you know, alive or dead? Jesus, I want him there. I want to hear what happened. You know, just, <laughs> yeah. different people, but they're all givers, right? Yeah. And so let that be the motivator for wanting better for your kids. And I really think that's where people will feel the change. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the yeah. need to change. Am I wrong? Am I naive? Give us a no. shout, a shout out. But no, I think I think you are right. I just wanted to ask that question as. Uh, a way of speaking what people may be thinking and why, like, why should I go to all this trouble when in my life, my life doesn't require me to go to all this trouble. I agree with you that we all want to be the kind of people we can look up to ourselves and other people can look, look up to our children can look up to. And that involves being good to others and all kinds of others, right? But let me give you another piece of food for thought in case that doesn't feel pressing enough or compelling enough for you. It it has been said that when we allow injustice anywhere in our society, we are all susceptible to injustice. And I want to point this out because you might be confident that you will never have a Black child or spouse, or grandchild, which, by the way, you can't be sure of that, right? But you could easily have a child who has a different gender identity, a child who has a different sexual orientation, a child who is 
different bodied or different in mind, those are things that we don't have control over. And if we support a society that is not loving and accepting of all people, then even in your own family, you run the risk of being affected. Even if you are not black or brown, you run the risk of being affected. And so if it is not compelling enough to know that one of the greatest predictors of success in all areas of life is empathy and that that empathy is best taught earlier in life so that it becomes ingrained and becomes second nature. Not that we can't teach it to our teenagers, just that it's harder at that point. If that's not enough, then remember that anywhere we allow the disease of intolerance and inequity in the world, we are, we all remain susceptible in some way or another. I think that we can all agree that we, we don't want to feel unsafe or susceptible in that way. And it's so I think mm-hmm. yes. it is infectious. And Love is infectious and intolerance is infectious absolutely. as well. And so we can choose which one. Speaking, what made me think of in this world of, of genetic testing and people doing 23 and me, people are realizing the culture they thought is not the same. Right. That is so you're saying something very important, which is that a lot more people than ever realized have African ancestry, for example, and other kinds of ancestry. I thought it was 100 percent Italian. No, 24 percent Chinese. You're 20. You know, I can totally see that, though. How did I not know that? Now, I wasn't going to do the genetic testing. My brother did it because it's a whole other story. Not that I don't want to know, but I don't want people to contact you. Me, who might be my yeah. brother or sister. Yeah, yeah. Or That's, you know what I mean? No offense. Um, <laughs> That's so interesting. That's so funny. But, but it's, it's a lot of my friends have been shocked to find out. Guess what? They're not really fully Caucasian. They only look it. That's a really good point, too. Yeah. So, really good you know, it's so important in so many ways. This is such an important conversation. I am so glad that we were able to have this conversation and bring little ways, you know, because sometimes when we're making big change, we think we have to just do big, huge thing. When it starts with those small actions, which we all can do. And yes. we already know we're role models for kids. No, we're not asking you to be perfect human beings. We're None of us are. Effort. And, and I love the idea of taking a personal bias test and I put it on here. Um, yes. And so that you can examine privately what your own biases are. Yes. And without that knowledge, because you might say, no, I'm not. And you are. And even, are. If you're, and even if you're a person of color, including if you're black, you have them as well. So go and take it and you'll get to see what they are, where, in which direction you're biased and how strong your biases are. There's and, a lot of biases. It's not exactly. just race, right? It's Absolutely. There's a ton, right? And you can take the, the implicit attitudes test for various different ones. So I highly encourage you to do that. And we've talked about subtle shifts that we can make in the immediate environment and within our own selves that will trickle down to our children and our grandchildren through epigenetic processes, but also through this through social learning and the social environment. And I'll just say as we close, 
one last thing, which is a bigger thing that we can do. And we need everybody who cares enough to do. And I hope that that's the majority of people. I like to believe it is. We need to put our money where our mouths are. And so if you have a belief that our world needs to move forward in this way, donate. Put your money to work. Support businesses that help to make a difference. Donate to organizations that are working on the front lines. Put your money where your mouth is. That's and a if you don't have the money, you can donate time. Like yes. you know, as being a part of two different volunteer nonprofits, they need boots on the ground. So yes. you know, and that's why I love a lot of teenage activism. You know, teenagers naturally love activism, and totally. it's a way for parents to connect with their kids too is to take up a cause and do it together and. One hundred percent. We totally wonderful, do. wonderful bonding. Yeah. And it, it, yes. There's so many great things. But yeah. Um, so thank you, my beautiful friend, for yes, you know, thank you. It's such an important conversation. I hope that you know, and as Dr. Cleopatra said, like drop things in the chat on the rewatch. We'll be monitoring it. Absolutely. And we all can change starts within us, and we all can do it. Yes. It's easy to look away. It's much more effortful to not look away, but we can't look away. So thank you for being here, spending this time with us, for allowing us to contribute in the way that we could to helping to move our human race forward and conditions for people of all colors forward. And we send you so much love, Dr. Rowe, my soul sister. I love you so much. And let us know what questions you have. We'll come back and answer them, okay? Bye, everybody. Have a great day. Be safe and stay committed because even when these protests start to fizzle out, we cannot stop speaking up and we cannot stop standing up. We have to keep moving forward. Hi there, precious mama. This is Dr. Cleopatra, the fertility strategist and the executive director of the Fertility and Pregnancy Institute. I cannot wait for you to come over and visit us at fertilitypregnancy.org. And I want you to make sure that you stop in and you download the free ultimate fertility checklist. You will learn so much about your fertility that no one has ever told you before, including about the primester and epigenetics during the primester. Don't waste another moment without coming to see us at fertilitypregnancy.org. Every single day matters when it comes to preserving, extending, and igniting our fertility and ensuring that we get to have as many super babies as our heart desires when it's the right time in our lives. I'll see you there. Sending you so much love and warmest wishes and I'm sprinkling all the baby dust in your direction for whenever you want it.